Give Jesus all the praise this morning. Is he worthy? <laughs> Did you have a good week? I hope you had a good week. Uh, thank you so much for being here. My name is Adam Harold, and if I've never met you, I want to. The easiest way for me to meet you is if you fill out that card in front of you, either drop it in the black box or drop it by guest services. We've got a gift for you if you do that. And uh, I get to do this with my wife. It is um, it is a joy to be able to serve with her. Her name is Tanya, and she is absolutely adorable. I love her so much. So um, thank you so much for being, I changed it up a little bit this week, huh? Um, so we love the fact that you're here. We just love the fact that we get to serve Jesus, and um, it's absolutely incredible. Um, next Sunday, ready or not, here it comes. Next Sunday, if you show up to the 9 a.m., you will either be late or early, however you want to look at it, because we will have a service at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11, starting next Sunday. And the reason we're doing it next Sunday is because tomorrow is a holiday. I don't know what to call it anymore, so I'm just going to say there's a holiday happening tomorrow. Um, and so, because um, one will get me in trouble and the other will, get, will also get me in trouble. So um, tomorrow is Indian, Indigenous Columbus Day. So um, if, if those of you that are just like, okay, there he is, he said it. Um, and so um, we're celebrating that tomorrow by not going to work and not going to school and things like that. Well, for some reason, um, for some reason in, in, in New England, I feel like fall doesn't really start to happen. Fall happens before that, like weather-wise, but like, like as far as rhythm and flow and, and schedule, it really doesn't happen until after that day. And so next week, because, the, because tomorrow is that day, next week we're going to get into rhythm, a new rhythm of three services, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. So pick which service you want to come to. Um, I'm just going to tell you guys right now, the... Um, the nine o'clock service is our is our fullest now. I believe in our next season, eight a.m., nine thirty, and eleven. The nine thirty is going to be very popular until summer, and then the eight a.m. will be more popular, right? So um, let's let's be honest. We like our our some our sunny days, and so um, we like to get it in and get it done, right? Um, in the summertime, but in the in the fall. We'll, we'll take our time. And so 930 is probably going to be pretty full. So pick a, pick a time. Um, it's going to be like in and out, like not, not really in and out. We still don't support being a church ninja, right? We still want you to come. It, but like it's going to give you, hopefully it gives you more of a desire to serve, right? Because the way that you avoid being a church ninja is by, by serving on a team and, and being here and and. Uh, putting more time in into serving Jesus, right? Because at the end of a service next, next Sunday, like, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to get your kids and go because there's another service coming in like 30 minutes later. Like, we've shortened our time. And because we've shortened our time, I'm trying to get our service time done. So I need to start preaching here really soon because we're trying to be at an hour, hour service time. And then um, about 30, 15, 30 minutes between services, and it's just going to be organized chaos is what it's going to be, but it's going to be absolutely incredible, and so um, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this, because 
Um, we just believe that it's time that we, um, we create more space for more people, right? I mean, if you look around, we, we could put a few more people, a, a few more people. We could put, a, like, a little bit more people in here, but, but it's gonna, it, would get, it would get crowded. And so um, we need to create more space for, for more people. With more people come more opportunities. With more opportunities come more growth to the kingdom of heaven. That's what we're doing this for. This is not for us. It's, it's for what, what is, we believe is what God wants for us. You know, um, yesterday, I, I, believe, I believe the world, if you're paying attention, as, and as followers of Jesus, you know, we're, we're always working for, for God's glory, but we're also paying attention to what's going on in, in our world. And um, yesterday, I believe that um, the world's attention, like, something happened that should have gotten the world's attention. The world pay, should pay closer attention when Israel goes to war. I don't believe that Israel going to war should be taken lightly. So this morning... And I, this isn't in my notes. I didn't, I didn't plan anything. But I feel like it's appropriate today to have a special moment of prayer for God's chosen people. And so this morning before I, before I pray, before I, before I preach, I, I just feel the need to go to God and ask for him to protect Israel. Lord, um, we know that your word is clear about the things that will happen in the last days. Father, um, I don't know if this is the last days. I don't. I don't know if we're living in the last days. I'm not, I'm not here to, to scare anyone. That's not my job. My job is to point them to Jesus. Father, I believe that when your chosen people, Israel, goes to war, that our, our prayer life should, should be more in, intently focused on, on you, as, as it always should. But, but Lord, we should always focus on you. And so, God, I, I just come before you and I ask you, to pray for, for Israel, God, that they would return back to, to you. Father, your, your word is pretty clear that your people will reject you. But Lord, I pray that what's going on right now would cause them to seek you, just like, just like tragedy and and things happen in our lives to cause us to seek you, Lord. I pray that Israel would seek you today. That they would seek the one Messiah, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Father, that they would see that he came to save them from their sin, not from their politics. Lord, I pray that America would see that Jesus came 
to save us from our sin, not from our politics. God, I ask that you would protect Israel today. We love you. We thank you. We praise you for Jesus. We love you so much. It's in your name I pray. Amen. This morning we are in week four of a series that I'm calling The Cost of Good. It's been a series, uh, it's the conclusion of a series, because next Sunday when we go to three services, I'm starting a new series that I'm super excited about, because I'll be talking about my favorite Bible story in all of the scriptures, and if you know what that is, then you know what the next series is going to be, but if you don't know what it is, we're going to call it The Prodigal, and you can figure out what my story, what my favorite story in the Bible is, but um, it's going to be six weeks, and we haven't done a six-week series, I think, in a long time. And um, I don't know that we've ever done a six-week series, but um, I just feel like there's so much richness and so much, um, there's so much depth to the story that we don't understand as, as people in the Western world that I can't, get, I can't wait to get into over the next six weeks starting next Sunday. But today we're wrapping up the cost of good where we've examined this question that this man by the, known as the rich young ruler asked Jesus. And it's a question that many people still ask to this day. The question we looked at it in week one, it was, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, we, we talked about in week one how he asked the wrong question, or he asked it wrongly, right? He asked it what, because he thought that his works got him to heaven, there are people in this world that believe that their works get them to heaven, but the good news was that our works could never get us to heaven. Because if you think about that, like, what good thing must I do? Like, how good do I have to be? That's where we get the title, The Cost of Good. So if you missed that message, you can go and listen to it on our website. Week two, we talked about Jesus' response to that question of what good thing must I, must I do to have eternal life? Jesus responded, and I talked about how Jesus teaches us that we get to choose our standard to live by. We can either choose, and there's only two options. We can choose to the standard of the law, right? Because if I follow the law, then maybe I can, get, I can be good enough to get to heaven, or you get to stand, choose the standard of Jesus, and when you choose Jesus as your standard, then he was already perfect enough so that you don't have to be perfect, and he comes into your life. When you put your trust in him, he comes into your life, and he makes you perfect. That's the only way you can be perfect. That was week two. Week three, we talked about, this is last Sunday, we talked about the lesson that Jesus had for his disciples. And the lesson was, my big idea for the day last Sunday, was that God does the impossible when it comes to spiritual matters, not us. I can't do the impossible, especially when it comes to someone, my friend, coming to know Jesus, right? I can't do the work in their heart. God has to do that. And there are things in our lives that we want God to do that seem impossible to us that he will do if we trust him and we believe in him and we have the faith 
the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said. You don't need more faith for God to do the impossible in your life. You only need faith the size of a mustard seed for him to do the impossible. That was last Sunday. Today, Jesus continues the lesson by telling a story in Matthew chapter 20. Now this, uh, God's word blew my mind this week because um, he continues the lesson. In Matthew's gospel, he gets more in depth. So the story of the rich young ruler, the conversation that this young man has with Jesus was in, um, is in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18. But in Matthew's gospel of chapter 19, Matthew gets a little more detailed. You see, in Mark 10 and, and in Luke 19, you can go and read those, but Jesus just goes on to tell his disciples that, guys, I'm going to have to die. But Matthew actually includes a story, a parable, to, to explain the lesson that he's trying to teach them. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're continuing the lesson that Jesus has for his disciples. And so if you would, if you turn to Matthew chapter 19, we're going to look at verse 30 before we get into Matthew chapter 20. Anytime I read God's word, I know I just prayed, but specifically I want to pray and I want to ask the Father to speak to our hearts through his word this morning. Father, I thank you for your word that is alive, it's active, it's quicker than any two-edged sword, and it pierces my soul and spirit. Father, I pray that your word would pierce my soul and spirit today, that your word would cut me apart, that it would get rid of things in my life that I do not need to be there, that I'm better without them because I am being made like you. Speak to my heart in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 19, 30 says, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem important now will be the greatest then. Now, in Mark and Luke, the story concludes there of the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. But not in, in Matthew. In Matthew, he goes on to tell a parable about, about what he means by this. Now, it's important that you understand what a parable is. So, in Webster's Dictionary, it defines a parable as a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or religious principle. So a parable is a fictitious story. My, my favorite thing to, to, to kind of joke about is my, my favorite story in God's word is, is, is a fiction, right? Like maybe I'm a, more of a novel guy than a, um, than a nonfiction guy. I don't know. But, you know, I always tell my wife I'm a romantic. She knows that, right? So like, anyway, whatever. No one's laughing at me, so whatever. It's because you guys are all asleep already. No, just kidding. So 
a parable, I, I learned a parable being this in, in Bible college. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? And so Jesus told parables of earthly stories with heavenly truths. And oftentimes when he told them, he told, he told them to different, different groups, different crowds. Some he told to his disciples. Others he told to Pharisees. Next week, his, so the parable that we'll start to look at next Sunday, he tells to a group of religious people, a bunch of, a bunch of religious leaders. It's the story of the prodigal son. This week, he's telling a parable to his disciples to explain to them who he is. And so he tells this story in Matthew chapter 19. And this story, it's interesting because I think on the surface, if you're not careful, you'll sit there and you'll go, I don't know if I like that. I don't, I don't know if I like that about God. So the truth that Jesus is telling in Matthew chapter 20 is explaining the truth that we just read in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30, that the greatest on earth will be, um, will be least important in heaven. The, they won't be as, as, as important or they won't be as um, they won't be as valuable in heaven as they are on earth. But in heaven, the greatest there will be the, the people that are seen as least important here. And Jesus goes on to tell this story. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 16. We're going to read it all. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his servants. Verse two, he agreed, that's really important. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage that he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them he would, and told them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work at the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The land older, old owner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Verse 11, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as, we, as you paid us. 
who worked all day in the scorching heat. I love how they throw in that. And it was miserable. But watch what the landowner says. He answered one of them. Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Let me read that again because that'll preach. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first now will be last. Why is Jesus telling the story? Matthew chapter 19, verse 30. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who are least important now will be greatest then. The last will be first, the first will be last. On Friday nights, I teach a Bible study here at the church. Um, that is an invitation, by the way, just so you know. Um, but I teach a Bible study here. And um, one of the things that we do, that we do our best to do in this Bible study is to always look for God's character when we read scripture. You see, I used to read God's word looking at my life, looking at like, what does this say that I should do? And I used to look at it like it was a map for me and and telling me how, like where I should go and what I should do. And I was always looking for me, 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 me. When you read scripture uh, when it, in thinking that it's about you, you're reading it wrong. This book isn't about you. This book will help you, but it's not about you. It's about God. It's called God's word. And so God's word is about him, and so I must look for God's character because when I discover God's character, I discover who I'm supposed to be because I was made in God's image. You were made in God's image. That's what Genesis tells us. He made us in his image. We're to be just like him. So I have to read God's word looking for God's character so that I can discover who I'm supposed to be. So let me ask you, when we read this parable, what do you see about God's character? What do we learn about God? It brings me to the big idea number one today. I've got two big ideas for you. No additional charge. Just so you know, there's no charge, really. The only charge is obedience. That's all I'm going to say about that. Big idea number one is this. God isn't interested in our ranking systems. God's not interested In our ranking system. Because before we get too deep into what I mean with this, it's super important that we remember what Peter said. Remember, it's always Peter. 
right? He was always the one causing trouble. In verse 27 of Matthew chapter 19, Peter said this, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? We've worked all day in the field. What are we gonna get that they don't get? Because we've given up more. So Jesus tells him this story about laborers. Some worked all day, others worked one hour. They all received the same pay. Now, for some of you in this room, that makes you so mad. That is not fair. For others in the room, you're like, wow, what a generous landowner. <laughs> Do you think Peter liked Jesus' answer to his question? Of course not. Because it's not fair. On a human level, it doesn't look like it's fair. It's not fair for us to sell everything, to give up our families, and not to receive the most reward. This is what the workers say in verse 11. When, we received, when they received their pay, they protested to the owners. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. But notice in the story these, who these people are. And to know who these people are, you have to go all the way back up to verse 2. Verse 2 says, he agreed to pay the normal daily wage. The people in the story that complain the most are the people with the contract. Notice the other people, all Jesus said to them was, at the end of the day, I will pay you what, what is right. He never says the amount that he's going to pay the people that only work one hour. He does say the amount for the people that agreed to the contract. When Peter says, Jesus, what will we get? He's asking Jesus for a contract. And God doesn't operate according to our contracts. So why does Jesus tell this story? Only included in the book of Matthew. Have you ever asked God, how is that fair? How is, how is this fair? Do you have friends that say, I don't believe in God because, well, I just don't think he's fair. There, there are kids in Africa starving to death. And there are people that will play football in America later today that make millions of dollars to play a game. How is that fair? <laughs> I really believe that what Je this is what Jesus is talking about here. 
he's explaining to us the fairness of God. And we don't understand it. We don't think that it looks fair because we don't understand fairness. The only thing that is fair is if God doesn't have a ranking system at all. If God doesn't have a contract with any of us. This is why God is more fair than any human being that has ever lived. Because humans have a ranking system. God doesn't. He doesn't have a ranking system. Big idea number two is a follow-up to big idea number one. Number one, God doesn't have a ranking system or isn't care, doesn't care about our ranking system. Big idea number two is the only contract God is interested in is one of faithfulness. That's it. He just wants you to work hard in the field and not give a rip about how much you're going to get paid as a result of it. All he wants is faithfulness. All he cares about is my faithfulness. The only contract he wants is faithful. Do you want to know how fair God is? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot and will not deny who he is. Does that sound fair to you? You want to start talking about the fairness of God? Anytime we really take a look at the fairness of God, we discover his goodness. We discover that we've been unfaithful and he's been nothing but faithful. He has never left us. You know how many times I've cheated on God in my life? You, mean, you know how many times I've gotten away from who I am in Christ? Do you know how many times he's left me? Zero. When I'm unfaithful, God is faithful. And that is not fair, but not for me, for God. Anytime we talk about fairness in God, it should always lead us to talking about how good he is. Because if God were really fair, I'd be dead. Are you? It's quiet in this Catholic church. The problem is that we want to define what's fair and not fair. But if I defined what's fair and what isn't, that would make me God. I cannot define what is fair and not fair. And so this got me thinking about the way that I view fairness and the way human beings tend to view fairness and how God views fairness. And I've got to, to wrap things up today, I've got three things, three ways that I view fairness and three ways that God views fairness. Number one, 
our fairness compares people to people. My fairness compares people to people, making sure that everything's equal, making sure that everyone has a level playing field. We believe that equality is based on comparing people to people, making sure that people have the same opportunities in life because people compare people to people. I worked all day and I got the same amount that the guy worked an hour. I should get more. You know how God sees equality? You see, I compare people to people, but God, in his fairness, only compares me to his holiness. And when God, com- when, when God compares me to his holiness, you know what he sees? <laughs> that I ain't holy. <laughs> but when he sees that I'm not holy, you know what he does? He provides a son, Jesus who is holy, who's perfect, sinless, never sinning, never doing wrong, dying on a cross, shedding his blood for my sin. You know why? To make me holy. So when God compares us to his holiness, he sees that we don't make it. And when he sees that we don't make it, he says, here's my son, He will make you holy, and all you have to do is believe in him and trust in him and put faith in him and live for him and give up everything for him. But he will make you holy. And let me tell you what. When I start to think about how unfair that is for me, (laughs) I think, God... It's unfair for you, not for me. Are you getting anything from this this morning? Number two, our fairness says that we should get what we think we deserve. Our fairness says we should get what we think we deserve. We worked longer than they worked We deserve more money than they get. God's fairness says you deserve what you agreed to. You deserve what you agreed to. You see, a long time ago in the Garden of Eden, we agreed to our own own way. We agreed to do things our way. Now, for those of you saying, Pastor Adam, I don't know about you, but I wasn't in the Garden of Eden. Okay, fair enough. You weren't. Can I tell you something? I believe if you were, you probably would have chosen your own way. You probably would have chosen your own way. You know why? Because it's in our nature to want what we want. It's in our nature to want our own way. Choosing our way leads to death. Choosing God's way will always lead to life. That's Romans chapter 6, verse 23. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We choose God's way, it leads to life. We choose our way, it leads to death. And that's how God sees fairness. Number three, our fairness says that we should be able to call the shots. This is what the people are doing in the parable. In verse 11, they received their pay. They protested to the owner. When they got, when they got paid, they're like, but I thought I was going to get more money. Because they got more money. They got the same amount that I'm getting. And I worked longer. I should call the shots. I should be the boss. You know why they protested? Because they thought they should call the shots. Let me ask you this morning. Who do you want calling the shots in your life? Can I be real with you? I want to call my shots. I want to call the shots. I want my way. I want what I think I deserve. That's what I want. In my flesh, that's what I want. I've learned when God calls my shots, my goodness, things are night and day. You see, when I call the shots, I get in trouble. Just ask my wife. When God calls the shots, things are so much better. In my fairness, I want to call the shots, but in God's fairness, he says he gets to call the shots because he is God and I am not. When I call the shots in my life, the reason I get in trouble is because I make myself God. But I ain't God. Remember the big idea for this entire series. The big idea for this whole series is that God only wants one thing from you. Your heart. That's it. You see, if God has my heart, he calls my shots. And when God calls my shots, and when I trust him to call my shots, I can endure anything. I'll go through suffering for you, God, no matter what that suffering looks like. I'll give up my time for you, God, because you gave it to me in the first place. I'll give my money to you, God, because it came from you in the first place. I trust you with my life. I give you my all 
because you are on my throne. Who's calling your shots? Stand on your feet. I want to pray with you. Who sits on the throne of your heart? That's the whole point of the story. The question is, it's really that simple this morning. The response time is really that simple. When we start to look at fairness, you know what we discover? We discover who's on, our, who's on the throne of our heart. You see, the reason we like to look at that parable and see, say that it's unfair is because when we're sitting on the throne of our hearts, we see it as unfair. When you start to have a conversation about a ranking system, you discover who's in charge. So who sits on the throne of your heart this morning? If it's anyone other than Jesus, there's a price for that. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. If the gift of God is on your heart, on the throne of your heart, his name is Jesus. The wage for that is life. The result of that is life. A life that you don't deserve. A life that I don't deserve. That doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It just means it's gonna be better. So, if the answer to that question is anyone but Jesus, and you want to put your pastor Adam, I would love Jesus to be on the throne of my heart, but I don't know how. I would love to help you. Our people in that room would love to help you. So we call that area our next steps. For you to discover what's next for you is right through those doors. But I can help with the microphone right now help you put the throne, put Jesus on the throne of your heart. If you want to do that this morning, right where you sit, would you say, God, I'm tired of trying to do this by myself. I'm trying to do, I'm tired of trying to do it at all. So God, with humility, I come to you and I ask you to come into my life, to have my heart. I give it to you. Thank you for Jesus that died for my sin so I can be forgiven from them. Come into my life. Make me new today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer, would you do me a favor? Would you tell somebody? I don't care if you tell the person that you came with. 
Would you, and, and, and you can tell us really easy. We make it so easy for you to tell us. There's the, that card that's in front of you. If you fill that out, you may have filled one out before, but if you made that commitment today, you fill that out and you just mark on there, I'm placing my identity in Jesus. If it's for the first time or if it's reconnecting to it, either way, we want to know about it. You can drop it in the black box or you can take it to that room where someone wants to pray for you. If there's anything going on in your life that you need prayer for, that room is open. We love you so much. We're going to sing a song and then we'll be dismissed.